This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest for today is no stranger to the program. He always brings a great perspective to one of our most popular topics, snakes. Terry Vendeventer is passionate about Mississippi snakes, so he joins us to talk about and answer your snake questions. Dr. Major's here, ready for pet questions. Libby always likes to hear about your encounters with nature. Join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Email animals at mpbonline.org. If you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, here's a reminder. It repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, Libby. Uh, Earth Day is today, first celebrated in 1970, and I know you wanted to share some thoughts about Earth Day with us. Yes. um, There are Earth Day events still going on, but most of them are now virtual, of course. like you said, it started 51 years ago, so there's been a lot of uh, progress, I guess, to build on. But um, one of the most traditional things people have done for Earth Day through the years is plant trees, and it's a good time to plant trees in Mississippi. So if you want to come up with a project for yourself or maybe for your family, uh, planting trees would be a great idea, and there are a few tree planting events around the state if you want to join in on any of those. Um, another thing that people do is just simply plant a garden. Eating healthy and eating um, locally is uh, very important to the environmental health of the planet, too. So when you take care of yourself, you know what Dr. Josie's always telling us, that we need to have a, a more plant-based diet. And a a more plant-based diet for humans is also better for the planet. So you might consider that. And then uh, another really traditional way to celebrate Earth Day is to do cleanups. And those are a little bit harder maybe to do in big groups now. Well, because um, I think most of us are still quarantining. But uh, Pearl River Keepers always has suggestions of places to clean up. So you can organize a cleanup in your neighborhood. You could um, clean up close to a road near your home, picking up litter. Or you can always go down to a creek or stream or the Pearl River in in Jackson and uh, do a cleanup on your own. There are also a lot of citizen science things that you can participate online. Uh, we know that uh, you can, there are several places like iNaturalist where you can report what you're seeing in your yard. So that would be a fun thing to do. Uh, record what you see at your bird feeder and uh, log that into one of the sites. Uh, as far as around the state, there's so many, I can't really talk to all of them, but particularly along the coast, there's several things going on. Uh, In fact, in just a a little while, they're going to start planting sunflower patches in Biloxi, a a groups of children. And uh, let's see, in Macomb at the Bo Diddley Pavilion, there's going to be an event from 9 to 3 today. Uh, 
No, that one's going to be Saturday. So Saturday the 24th, the 9 to 3 at the Bo Diddley Pavilion. And then again Saturday um, at the, uh, let's see, in Pascagoula at the Levy Memorial Park. And then tonight from 4 to 8, so I guess in the afternoon and early evening, in Moss Point at the Pascagoula Audubon Society, they're going to, or at the Audubon Nature Center, they're going to have... Um, all kinds of fun things to do for families and music. So I think they do that most years. So I'm sure it'll be socially distanced. But if you're in the area, that would be a fun one to do. And in Jackson, there's some smaller uh, celebrations that you can go online and find out about. I just Googled Mississippi Earth Day 2021, and you'll get a whole lot of fun things to do. The Lynn Meadows even has cooking classes going on for kids to learn how to cook healthy and cook locally. And uh, Wesley Shoup has got a photography exhibit on at the uh, Natural Science Museum, so that would be a good one to do. And if you want a global perspective on Earth Day, because it is a, a worldwide event, you can go to earthday.org. Uh, um, events uh, in uh, total more than 1 billion people in, in 193 countries around the world. So it is a time for everyone on Earth to kind of reflect and uh, try to help preserve our planet for not only us, but for uh, the generations uh, to come. So good morning, Dr. Major. We're going to be talking about snakes today. Is this the time of year that you might begin to see more uh, pets come in with uh, snake bites uh, to the clinic? You know, it is. Uh, we we see just about year-round, depending on the uh, uh, weather as much as anything. Uh, some of the times it seems like that uh, we get more snake bites when the snakes are semi-dormant uh, and not moving around a lot, and uh, especially dogs who will go stick their nose down and get, get bitten as possible. Uh, but they're I haven't seen a lot of activity like that yet at the clinic. We're seeing more, gosh, puppies, kittens. Uh, it's that time of year. And uh, also seeing a lot of uh, people letting their animals out to run, and they get in trouble, either dog bites or hit by car. So people need to be very careful this time of year especially. And uh, they're, uh, you know, there's results from having something out running loose. So, and sometimes they're not good. I would think that uh, <clears throat> just by their nature that dogs would be more susceptible to snake bites because they seem to be curious and, as you said, poke their nose around trying to find something. To me, if a, a, if a cat were to come across a snake, I envision the cat, you know, jumping up in the air and, and skedaddling. Does that seem to be the case pretty much? Uh, well, you remember curiosity killed a cat is also <laughs> true. Uh, one thing about a cat, they're a little bit quicker uh, uh, than a dog as far as their, what shall I say, their hand dexterity. Uh, they may slap a snake, and whereas the dog would put its nose down on it and get bitten on its face. Uh, the other serious thing with a snake bite, if there is a snake bite, uh, would be uh, uh, bitten on a foot for a dog. Uh, sometimes inadvertently uh, walking by a snake that they didn't see uh, and getting bitten there, that's a real problem because there's very little flesh around that uh, bony foot or leg, and you may get uh, dehiscence of tissue uh, with results of exposure of bone, et cetera. It, just, it can be very serious when 
a dog is bitten on the on the foot. I rarely see a cat get bitten. Okay, that's my. Usually, cats come in with uh, abscesses or swell, swelling. It's usually from another cat bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if uh, if a dog owner's dog is bitten by a snake, is that something that would require, you know, immediate trip to the vet, maybe even possibly an emergency clinic, or is it something the next morning, that sort of thing? How urgent well, is it? Well, I'm sure Terry's uh, online. The main thing is identification of the snake uh, to know whether or not it was a poisonous snake or not. Uh, the most common snake we see in this area is going to be either uh, a moccasin, a cottonmouth moccasin, or sometimes copperheads. We don't see a lot of rattlesnake bites in this area right here. Uh, there are... Uh, courses of action if it looks like the animal is going into shock, which some of them may, or if they have severe uh, symptoms from having been bitten, there is antivenom available for the basic uh, pit viper type snakes, and uh, this certainly may require hospitalization. It just depends and to make sure of what kind of snake it was it was bitten. Most common snake bite I see, though, is from a you know, Dr. Major, ever since we've kind of gone to this uh, with the pandemic, it's always fun to hear uh, what's going on in the background. Sounds like you've got another spirited group of dogs in the clinic this morning with all that barking. Yes, yes. It's, it's very difficult to uh, tell the dogs not to bark. I, <laughs> I, 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 try, to, I try to put it on uh, mute when I'm not, you know, when I don't have a question or anything just to keep the noise down. But uh, that particular dog, I think, had surgery and is ready to go home, uh, he uh, swallowed or, yes, tore up and swallowed one of these calm things, which are basically indestructible, but not for him. And he had two pieces lodged in his intestine and had to have surgery. They were not going to move. So anyway, he's, he's he feels good and he's ready to go home, but he's got to stay here another day or two. All right. Uh, Before our first break, let's get one pet question in. So we say good morning to Paige in Ocean Springs. You're on the air, Paige. Go ahead. Good morning. Dr. Major, it's interesting you mentioned that the dog had swallowed something because that's what my call is. I have an almost six-month-old husky who is, she eats paper towels, socks, um, you know, Kleenex, she's she's managed to push aside the bin where we hide the Kleenex and manage to get in it and eat the whole box. Uh, I'm not sure, is this something she'll outgrow? I mean, it's really been a challenge. You know, it can be a challenge. That's an excellent question, and it does happen. I mean, we, we have seen certain dogs become, what should I say, have a fetish about socks, underwear, whatever that they might be able to get a hold of and you know in the laundry basket uh we we have dogs that really never outgrow it seems like but oh, don't uh, tell in, me that. <laughs> in, in most in most cases they do uh certainly a uh, small towel or a sock can lodge in the intestinal tract if they swallow it intact and can cause some issues so try to she's still a puppy try to puppy proof as much as possible uh, get something that is indestructible that she likes and can chew on. I had a big dog, the uh, Dogo that I had. Uh, we actually were able to go online and order a few things that she could not tear up, toys that she would play with. 
and uh, those those seem to work well. But this was supposed to not be eaten by this dog that I've just mentioned. Uh, Kong-type uh, things are usually fairly indestructible, but not for this particular individual. It yeah, was a bull terrier. Excuse me. It two, was a bull terrier. Oh, right. yeah. And we he, have two I Kong rings it, that she's been able to right. destroy. Um, but well, all the other Kong exactly, toys, she's, she has a slew of them, and she has fun right. with them. But she still that's exactly what this her was best. Too. This was a Kong ring that she this dog uh, tore apart and did swallow parts of it. So good luck, and just try as much as you can to puppy-proof it or dog-proof it. And uh, give positive rewards at times to you know to try to keep her away from this, try to entertain her in different ways other than chewing on stuff. All right, Paige, thanks for your question. It's time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll welcome our guest, Harry Vandeventer. Mississippi's home to about 40 different species of snakes. Some might even be in your backyard. If you have a snake question or a pet question, don't hesitate to call to join our conversation. The phone number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. Our guest today is Terry Vendeventer. He's here to talk about the snakes that call Mississippi home. What snakes might you encounter this time of year? Join our conversation with questions and comments. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So thanks for joining us, Terry. Always good to have you on the program with us. So is Mississippi home to about 40 different species of snakes? Well, yes, it is. Um... If you want to consider some of the different races, we have 56 different kinds of snakes. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, welcome to Mississippi. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm joining you today from, I'm sitting in the middle of my seven and a half acres of rolling wooded rattlesnake infested property, listening to the birds. Where are you? <laughs> I'm safe in a studio, so I think... <laughs> <laughs> So um, what type of snakes might people maybe find in their yards, in the neighborhood, maybe at the uh, park when they're out uh, walking, enjoying nature this time of year? Oh, well, a lot of people are doing yard work. They're out in the monkey grass and the landscape timbers and and working in their yard on these nice days. And they're going to find little snakes. Um, There's a little nondescript brown or gray snake with no markings called an earth snake. And little tiny guy eats in, eats uh, worms and slugs and things like that. And then a, a very common snake that is is reported all over Mississippi is a, a snake called a Midland Brown snake. Uh, it was formerly called a decay snake, named after uh, a biologist uh, back in the 1700s in New York. 
And it's a little brown snake again. Uh, it's a slug specialist. It's good to have around. And uh, both are small, under a foot generally, around a foot in length, and perfectly harmless. They, they don't bite. They don't hurt anybody. They, they're just, you know, sharing our homes with us. Um, I, in my backyard, I, the sort of the corner of both of the backyard, I've turned into a place where I drag, you know, limbs that have come down and, and, and parts of trees and that sort of thing. And I've, I've never seen any snakes in there, but I imagine that that might be, uh, uh, an area where a snake might to go. Is that the type of habitat that a snake would like? Well, yeah, possibly. Uh, snakes look for shelter. Uh, snakes are very retiring animals. They, um, they don't like to expose themselves much to danger. There's not much a snake, even a venomous snake, can do to defend himself against a predator. So they like to hide and stay, you know, in, well, in brush piles or under logs or rocks or in burrows made by other animals. And you, you might have a snake there. That's always a possibility. But um, uh, a famous herpetologist, Clifford Pope, wrote decades ago, snakes are where you find them. <laughs> that's funny that's funny you say that kevin because i too in my uh home in my backyard i do have a corner where a lot of we put the leaves and the brush and stuff like that and we were clearing it out um a little while ago and i said sure enough i said this is like prime snake real estate so we just kept <laughs> on pulling kept on pulling and then sure enough got to about the bottom of the pile and there was a gray and black i didn't stay long to get a good enough look at it but it sure enough was a snake and i said well i'm sorry for messing with your house <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh one of the things that people worry about is um is is snakes around the house in the yard and such and they say what can we do well you can go spend your money on snake repellent at one of the big box stores it does not work none of the snake repellents work uh, they're a complete scam it's been proven over and over again scientifically they do not work the other thing that we have to be very careful with is this notion that is deeply ingrained in Mississippi culture, and that is mothballs. Putting mothballs out to keep snakes away, it does not work. It is extremely dangerous. Dogs eat them. Children eat them. We have upwards of 100 uh, dog and children ingestions in Mississippi every year. You do not want to eat a mothball. They do not work, and it is a federal offense to put mothballs out in a fashion that is not indicated by the manufacturer. So they do not work. Keep your property clean. Get rid of uh, brush piles. Get rid of um, pieces of tin roofing that, you know, the husband says, well, I'm going to use that someday. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. Take it to recycling. Um, old shacks and things, any place where a snake can find shelter and where he can find food. And food would be in the form of rats and mice and, uh, and things like that. So keep up with the Joneses. Keep your property clean and manicured. And at the very least, you can see a snake if he's passing through. You know, with the grass manicured, you can see him, and you can then take two steps back, walk away, and everybody be happy. We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Terry Vandeventer. He is our resident snake expert, and I think that uh, our friend Kathleen from Osaka wants to ID a snake. Go ahead, Kathleen. You're on the air with us. I am so glad you guys are there. I have a lot of king snakes on my property, so I don't have a lot of snakes that venture in. 
but about a year ago, I don't know if we identified it or not, but I saw it again. It, I don't know if they home. One question, do they home? Do they come back to where they were born? And two, this snake was about three feet in length, kind of fat and happy, and he was rusty colored like cinnamon, like the color cinnamon. And uh, he was not shy. I went to get out my van, and I just about put my foot on him. I think he was scurrying to get away from where I was pulling in, but he stopped and gave me a good how do you do. So <laughs> I didn't ask his ID. I just got back in the truck, moved it up a couple ten feet, and got in my house. <laughs> but I was well, always curious as to what that snake was. I've never seen a snake that color. Well, we have a, a, a very abundant snake in Mississippi called a yellow-bellied water snake. And that's what he is, a yellow-bellied water snake. He's um, kind of a dull, matte, dark gray-black on top with pretty much no markings, but bright lemon yellow underneath. Now, you're not going to see that unless you get out and turn him over, and we're not going to do that. But when they crawl out of a ditch or a swamp, they very often are covered with rusty, cinnamon-colored water, that dries on them, and, and they stay that, that solid kind of cinnamon brown color until the next time they shed their skin. And, and so, uh, uh, and yes, snakes do uh, have territories. Now, don't get confused when we say territories. People think that if you go into a snake's territory, he's going to be defensive or aggressive. No, his territory isn't, against, isn't a territory that is against you. It's against other male snakes that might wander through looking for trouble. So, yes, they do roam certain territories, and you may – there's always that possibility you can see the same snake again another time. Uh, not likely, but we know that they do. So harmless yellow-bellied water snake, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but do what your mama told you. Don't pick up snakes, and you're going to be in pretty good order. All right, Kathleen, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join in this morning, call us at one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Terry, uh, some snakes are venomous, and are there some tips and things, again, that we can look for if you see a snake to try to determine whether it is venomous or not? Well, uh, a question I always have is why is it important? Why is it important to know whether it's venomous or not? If you don't touch it, if you don't try to kill it, if you don't try to do something bad to it, it's, it's not going to do anything to you, venomous or not. But I understand human nature. They want to know, we want to know what things might hurt us in the woods. And we tend to, to promote the, the idea of using more than one character to identify a venomous snake. Most of our venomous snakes in Mississippi are pit vipers. They have vertically elliptical pupils. Their pupils look like a cat. Uh, under bright sunshine, they have bright, you know, slit pupils. In low light, those pupils dilate and become more round. But when they're at that point, you can't see the pupil anyway because it's too dark. And you're kind of close. You know, if you're getting down there close enough to see his <laughs> eye, you're too close. There's many other characters, but I always point out, learn their colors. You can get a poster at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You can get a poster, a wall poster, that has 12 photos of all six of Mississippi's native venomous snakes. Get that poster, study it, 
and learn a little bit about it. And otherwise, any snake you see, two steps back and walk away. No snake chases people, contrary to popular belief, and no snake attacks people. People tend to attack snakes, and that's how accidents happen. So, yeah, learn what they look like. Learn what their colors look like. So two steps back and slowly walk away for any kind of snake that you might encounter. Yeah, you don't don't run. You'll you'll trip on a log and get a concussion, and you know. So just yeah, no snake in Mississippi can outwalk you. I mean, the fastest snakes. If you're if you're walking at a brisk pace, no no Mississippi snake can can exceed that. So take two steps back, walk away. Hey, get out, get a little little back, and take a picture with a cell phone and. Send me a picture, and oh. we, can, we can tell you what it is. All right. Uh, let's get another call in before our next break. So we say good morning to Deborah calling in from Memphis. Deborah, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Um, hi. Um, I was calling my son take my beagle to the um, Overton Park Old Forest, and I know there are copperheads there, and um, I was just wondering uh, what, what – uh, how I should or he should proceed if my dog was bit. He runs off leash, and I've heard that <clears throat> anti-venom is snake-specific. So, um, anyway, can you give me a little information about that? Uh, who is this for? Is this for Terry or Dr. Majors? <laughs> uh, let me let me address the first part of it. Overland Park Overland Park is chock full of copperheads. Nobody's ever been bitten there. Uh, there's a there's a, a graduate student there right now who is has radio tagged tons of them, and she's studying copperhead populations right there in that that's that park. And I've gone out with her, and I've I've seen those snakes. Um, the chances of of snake bite is such a rare thing. Mm-hmm. Now having the dog off leash, one thing to consider is it's probably illegal, and the other thing is you can't control him. Uh, he's he's going to be out there sniffing around, putting his nose down in places he shouldn't. He should always be kept on a leash when he's out like that, uh, in my opinion. And so, um, but, you know, I, snakes, I mean, dogs are highly resistant to snake bite, but, you know, sometimes it can be a, re- a really bad thing. So um, I don't know if any dogs ever have ever been bitten there by the zoo. I don't, uh, nobody, no human has ever been bitten there. But there's plenty there. Keep him on a leash. Watch what he's doing. And uh, if he does get bit, I would say, by all means, transport him to either your vet or to an emergency vet clinic. And if Dr. Major has anything to say about that, um, he can chime in right here. Curious good advice. Uh, the the chances of a dog his nose on a copperhead is fairly good, though. Uh, you know, when they're out off leash, uh, you know, I've stepped on a copperhead uh, before, and it just kind of, didn't do anything to me. I was afraid it's gonna wrap around my leg, but it didn't. Uh the the thing is the vets there is uh there is antivenom available which is a uh, for basically for the crotalide correct me wrong if I'm saying that wrong, Terry. But uh it is more for more than one type of snake bite. Uh we use it uh, and we have some on hand. We keep it, it actually can be frozen reconstituted and used uh, if necessary, and I'm sure the emergency clinic would have it. It's better to go on and have your dog checked out if it does get bitten, but uh, it's a very good question. 
All right, uh, Deborah, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts. Time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue talking with snakes with our guest, Terry Vandeventer. Are you thinking about getting a snake as a pet? Call in and see what species Terry might think is best for you. Also, Dr. Major, always on hand for your pet questions. The phone number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're visiting with our guest, Terry Vandeventer. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Or if you download the MPB Public Media app, you get access to all the local MPB Think Radio programs. The phone number to call if you want to join our conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Got some calls to get to. Let's uh, divert from snakes for just a bit, though, and do a pet question from Shirley in Starkville. Good morning, Shirley. You're on the air with us. Oh, good morning. Thank you for your show. One of your quest- one of my questions has already been answered, and it was a snake question. Uh, it had to do with the old husband's tale about the mothballs keeping snakes away. Uh, so the other question I have is about onychectomy. Um, I had uh, uh, a huge Persian who unfortunately had to be put down uh, when he was uh, 16 years old. Um, I had, uh, you know, I took him to the vet and asked that, you know, he be declawed. It wasn't until later, one of my students did a report on onychectomy that I realized how uh, deeply one has to go into the cat's paw uh, to uh, remove uh, the claw. So I'm considering uh, getting a cat again but I don't want to put him through that misery. So I was wondering, is there an alternative method uh, to dealing with the cat claws? In other words, I want an indoor cat. Uh, understand, yes. Uh, yeah, other, other, other than onychectomy. So. Well, that's an excellent question, and it, it certainly is a, a question that uh, veterinarians and uh, cat owners have to deal with. Uh, there are some options. There are something called soft paws, uh, which have to be put on about once a month, but certainly it can be done. There are little plastic uh, claws that uh, pads that go over each claw. You trim the claw and then actually use a glue type such substance to glue it on the claw, and that prevents the cat from scratching. Uh, they can scratch those off. They like to do the uh, even your declawed cats, a lot of those cats will actually act like they're trying to remove a claw. And that's what a cat does when it's uh, scratching on a scratching post. It's shedding parts of those claws. 
but this can be done. That's that is certainly an alternative, uh, and it works well. But it's something that has to be maintained. Okay, you said monthly. That has to be done. Monthly, probably uh, four to six weeks. Uh, a little over monthly, uh, I would say probably would be. Uh, you start losing some of those little soft paws, but it is an alternative. Uh, there are people that have bleeding disorders that may have uh, certainly justification for declawing cat, but I would use the soft claws, and I think you'll see that those work quite well. All right, uh, okay, Shirley. Thanks. Thank you so much. Good to hear from you, Shirley. Thanks for your question. Uh, Terry Vandeventer is our guest this morning, and he's our resident snake expert. Terry, we've gotten an email here that uh, included a picture uh, it looks like a snake kind of hidden away in some brush. Uh, it says the pair of snakes in love in Moss Point at Marsh's Edge told it was a Mississippi green water snake, quite large. Uh, it, would that be a snake uh, th that would be found in, in that part of Mississippi? And, and I'm sorry, where was that again? Where was it found? Uh, in Moss Point, in a marshy oh, area in Moss oh, Point. Yes. yes, yes, very, very abundant there. Mississippi green water snake, it's a... Uh, a, a dark, tacky green snake, virtually no markings on it. Big, very, very heavy, thick snake, often mistaken by people as a, as a cottonmouth. But, yeah, yeah, that would be quite common. Um, there is a Facebook page that I'm a moderator on called Mississippi Snake Forms and Identification. Mississippi Snake Forms and Identification. And we have a number of experts on there. And this time of year, I think we have 10,000 members now. Wow of people who send in pictures every day. What kind of snake is this? And we answer the answer that question uh you know profusely, especially <laughs> this time of year. So uh yeah, Mississippi Greenwater snake uh is a is a common snake around that part of you know down in Jackson County area. All right. Yep. Uh, Completely let's, harmless. Very good. Let's move on with some <laughs> phone calls and say good morning to Mary from Independence. Mary Thanks for calling. You're on the show now. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Um, I just wanted to report a gruesome thing that happened to a friend of mine. She was, and it was in a subdivision outside of Hernando. She was um, going up and with her broom to sweep her porch, and she swept it, and a copperhead bit her three times. And uh, by the time she got to the hospital she didn't have any pulse so it was a blessing her husband was there and took care of her but um, her husband was careful to cut off the head of the snake uh, and quick you know quick as a bunny bunny he cut off her the head and they took it with them to the emergency room so they could identify exactly what kind of snake it was and i just wondered if that was um really important that or is it better probably better to have the head, but is it okay if you can't get the head, you still have to go to the hospital? Okay. Um, he's very lucky. He, uh, the husband is very lucky that he wasn't bitten. I don't know how in the world, and I hear this stuff all the time, I don't know how in the world a person is bitten three times uh, because the bite of a pit viper is excruciatingly painful. The second it, it happens, you know something happened that's bad and you get back you jump back but nonetheless um no they they do not need to know that the last thing the emergency room wants is for you to drag 
a head or a snake or a dead snake in, they don't want that. It is not needed. The anti-venom that is used for snake bites in Mississippi treats all of our venomous snakes except one. And so they don't have to know what kind of snake it was. Um, most snake bites in Mississippi happen during the killing of a snake. So there he was. His wife was ready to go to the hospital, and he's taking life and death moments to cut the head off the snake, which could have bit him, and take it to the hospital when it wasn't needed. Uh, there have been authorities say there's never been a death from a copperhead bite ever ever but there have been two deaths resulting from copperhead bites where people were holding the snake they were bitten and they had been bitten previously and developed an allergy and they died of a of a anaphylactoid shock so did they die from copperhead bite hard to say really but but they were you know that happened but copperheads are generally considered not lethal snakes you don't die of a copperhead bite um, you know, there's always a first, I guess. But no, the, the, the gist of this is don't kill the snake. Don't take it to the hospital. They don't want it there. They don't need it. They can treat you without knowing what kind of snake it is. No problem. All right, uh, Mary, thanks for your call. And Terry, I would also suggest earlier you had said the, that, you know, someone might hear that and say, oh, well, that snake attacked her. But it sounds to me as if it were an accidental encounter where her broom might have you know, brushed up yeah. against the snake or whatever, and it was just reacting to that. And she may she may have stepped on it, too. The, uh, uh, no, snakes do not attack human beings. That's just a given. I mean, they, they don't. They, they don't have the capability. That they don't have that kind of reasoning power. They respond defensively. When something is big that's, you know, 10,000 times bigger than them, you know, walks up on them and starts poking at them, hitting them with a stick, kicking at them, or stepping on them, that's when they, they respond defensively. And like Dr. Major said, I've, I have stepped on, I can't tell you how many snakes I've stepped on in a 60-year career from Canada to South America. And I have never had a snake strike at me as I passed. I've sat down next to him. I've put my hands next to him, all accidentally. And, of course, it'll make you move quickly when you realize <laughs> it, but I've never had one strike at me. And, and like Dr. Major said, I stood on a copperhead for three minutes trying to figure out where the heck he was <laughs> when I realized I was standing on him the whole time. And at any given time, he could have responded defensively, but there, but no snake is aggressive toward people. No snake attacks human beings. So. All right, let's move on with some phone calls. Next, we'll talk to Francis calling in from Natchez. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Thanks for having me. My question is kind of like a little rebuttal of what the guy just said. Uh, I've had encounters with uh, water moccasins. Uh, they are the most ill-tempered snakes that I've ever seen. I mean, uh, we were fishing once. snake came out of the pond right at us. And a uh, uh, question here is, uh, what are some more ill-tempered snakes, you know, that have come at you for no reason? Next question, I like to fish. Water moccasins like to hang up in the limbs. If one fell in my boat, uh, what do I do? Third question, the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, are we susceptible to uh, pythons and the type of, types of snakes that are in Florida? Okay. Uh, okay, that's three questions. I'm going to try to keep them in order. No, no worry about pythons here. We're, we're not going to have pythons. People have pet pythons that they, they escape all the time. 
they are killed by the frost, they're killed by cars, they're killed by predators. We will never have Burmese pythons loose and thriving in Mississippi. Snakes in the trees. The snakes you see up in the trees are not cottonmouths. They're water snakes, which are harmless. They're big, fat, dark-colored, large-headed snakes, and they like to get up in the trees. If one fell in the boat, and this is interesting because this is an old story, and I've talked to hundreds of fishermen, biologists, canoers, kayakers, people who do this. They, they have never known a genuine case of a snake falling in a boat with someone. Cottonmouths in the lower Mississippi Valley are not known to climb. These same people, including myself, have seen thousands, and we've never seen one in a tree ever. They, sim- they simply don't climb. So they're on the ground. The snake approaching you, snakes do not chase people. There's no such thing as an aggressive snake. He's not mean. Cottonmouths, we look at them and we give them, um, uh, we give them human characteristics. We say, look at him. He's aggressive. He's ill-tempered. He is not ill-tempered at all. It's kind of hard to get bit by a cottonmouth. They are very reticent to bite. They open their mouth. They show us the white lining of their mouth. This is to... It's like a rattlesnake's rattle. It lets us know he's there. We can see him with that white mouth flashing. And we take offense. We say, look at him. He's got that mouth open. He's, he's showing me his fangs. He's, he's looking for trouble. I'll give him some trouble. And then we have a snake bite. No, they don't chase people. They will approach boats because they're nearsighted. They think it's a log or a branch floating in the water. But no, they don't, they don't chase people. They're not aggressive. They're not mean-spirited. Uh, it's, it's a misinterpretation of the snake's you know, behavior, uh, giving it human terms. They, they're not humans. They're snakes. So. All right, uh, Francis, thanks for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts, and it's time for one final break for the hour. Uh, we've been talking about different snake species today with our guest, Terry Vendeventer. He is our resident snake expert. There's still time for you to work in a question, uh, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap things up after this. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield and our resident snake expert, Terry Vendeventer. If you want to join the conversation, still some time to work in a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 Email animals at mpbonline.org. Terry, what do you think about a snake as a pet? Well, um... Yeah, it's not like I don't keep a couple snakes. Um, children need to commune with nature. They need to know that things are out there. And if they have, you know, allergies to fur and feathers, or maybe they live in a situation where they don't have a backyard for a dog, uh, a snake makes a, makes a good pet. Um, they're clean. They're quiet. They don't chew up your slippers. Um, <laughs> 
and so finding the right snake for a pet is is a uh, is an important thing. Uh, ball pythons, B-A-L-L, as in basketball, ball pythons are extremely common on the market, very poor pets. Um, short little fat pythons never get over about four feet, and uh, they do nothing. They sit there, they do nothing whatsoever, and they end up coming to me. People call me saying, will you take this snake? And I say, no, I'm sorry. There's thousands of them out there that people are trying to get rid of. Large pythons, Burmese pythons and reticulated pythons, bred by the tens of thousands in this country for pets. No, no. In a year, he'll be 12 feet. So, no, you don't want those. A corn snake, a king snake, excellent pets. And you can, and I have no problem with someone collecting a specimen. Uncle Bob catches one, brings it to you, you know, and you keep it for a pet. I have no problem with that. Um, but you can also go to reptile shows in Slidell and in uh, uh, Birmingham, and there's even one that's in, held in Jackson about twice a year. And you can go to these reptile shows, and you can get captive-bred snakes that will do very well for you. Corn snakes and king snakes are, are, are really the best choice. All right. Uh, let's get one final call in this hour. It's uh, Kevin, who's uh, on the road today. Good morning, Kevin. You're on the air with us. Hey, how you doing? Good. Yes, I was calling them about a year ago. My wife was mowing the yard on a zero-turn ride mower, and she took a water break. And uh, when she come back, it was a snake up in the mower, like around with a motor. And I killed the snake, and when I when I shot it, it had two birds up inside of it. Is that a chicken snake or what? I was trying to see. Yeah, very very likely that was uh, what your grandma calls a chicken snake. Yeah, it's a, a gray rat snake. They do eat birds, They absolutely, and they're – you know, that's just part of their diet. They eat rodents and, and uh, small rabbits and, and, and birds and eggs. They're known for swallowing eggs. And uh, it's unfortunate that he was killed. Uh, this is a good point to, uh, to mention that upwards of 80% of all snake bites in America happen during the commission of snake murder. Snakes don't attack people. And studies have shown what herpetologists have always known. Snakes rarely bite when stepped upon. And this has been borne out. We've done these studies and researched it. So, so uh, uh, by trying to kill a snake, you put yourself at risk. And people say, well, he won't bite me. I'll shoot him. Nah, you'll pick him up and have a selfie. And then you'll get bit. And it, and it happens every day. And so, uh, so don't kill him. He's there doing good for you. He's helping you, and he's not hurting you. And getting past this is is tough. But but uh, to the to the listeners, I think we're speaking. We're kind of preaching to the choir here. But you know, don't kill snakes. Leave them alone. They're they're beautiful. They're elegant and graceful. They have the, the you know resplendent colors of jungle birds and tropical fish, all of which we admire. We we just have to get that across. The snakes are the same. All right. Uh, thanks, Kevin, for your call. This is Creature Comforts. We're wrapping things up with our guest, Terry Vendeventer, our resident snake expert. And, Terry, I just want to repeat what you said earlier. Uh, two steps back and slowly walk away. Maybe s grab your camera and get a picture. Uh, but, again, and, and I think we've talked about this in previous shows, I think snakes are uh, about as uh, anxious to avoid us as we are to avoid them. Oh, absolutely. And we don't want to forget, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this will take place, we have Snake Day at the Museum of Natural Science in Jackson. 
and uh, I'm generally there doing live programs. Uh, we worked it out last year. I'm sure we'll probably do it again this year. And we also uh, have other events at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, such as Nature Fest. And again, I'm out there and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, preaching the good word about about our legless friends. Hey Terry, uh, yes. Major, uh, question. Uh, in my uh-huh. opinion, based on snakes that I've seen over the years, they really, if somebody wants a pet that shows emotion and is uh, one that wants to come up to you and be caressed, that's not a <laughs> right. that's not a snake. So <laughs> I, I, I would say that sometimes people get a snake thinking that, but it's not going to happen. Yeah, and they often get them on spur-of-the-moment things. This right. snake would be great at parties. No, no, your snake doesn't love you. Your snake doesn't right. love you. He tolerates you, and uh, you feed him, and, and um, you know, he doesn't mind you at all, but he doesn't love you, you know, not, not like your dog does. <laughs> there you go. And uh, as we wrap, I'd say, speaking from personal experience, I think I would encourage people, if you're a little bit afraid of snakes, to maybe go to a snake day or try to uh, get a safe snake encounter, because I think the more you deal with them and see them and, and are able to get up close and interact with them, uh, that fear goes away just a little bit. I, you know, I've done some things at zoos and such, and again, it's helped me be a little bit more comfortable around snakes. Right, so, and to see a person's face. Very to good. To see a person's face, it's amazing. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Our funding is brought in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. Our call screener this week was Liz Gill. For Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Harry Vendeventer, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.